Today's date is Sunday, July 11th, 2021. We are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page uh, one, starting with War Fever Ran High, up to and including on page three, My Drinking Assumed More Serious Proportions. Michael O. will be our reader, followed by a 20-minute share by Rick K. And uh, Michael, if you'd like to start the reading, please. Thank you. I'm Michael. I am a food addict. Chapter one, Bill's story. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned. And we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we, sa we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a dog girl on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot, whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. 22 and a veteran of foreign wars, I was home at last. I fancied myself a leader, for had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation, my talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. I took a night law course and obtained employment as investigator for a surety uh, company. The drive for success was on. I proved to the world I was important. My work took me about Wall Street and little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceived their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. By the time I had completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved $1,000. It went into certain securities then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined that they would someday have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and managements, but my wife and I decided to go anyway. I had developed a theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. We gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle. The sidecar stuffed with tent, blankets, a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of a financial reference service. Our friends 
thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had had some success at speculation, so we had a little money. But we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole Eastern United States in a year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. For the next few year, years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife helped at times by extreme drunkenness kept me out of those scapes. Thanks, Michael, for your service. And now it is my pleasure to do, introduce our speaker for today, uh, Rick Kay. Thank you, thank you. Hi, I'm Rick and I'm a compulsive eater. It's good to be here this morning, everybody. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm sitting here in Miami where I've been for uh, about 50 years, <laughs> you know? Uh, but when, when Kim asked me to substitute and sit in today, she said, what's your hometown? I've been here for 50 years, but the truth of the matter is that I grew up in a South Jersey shore town, Margate, and there's still sand in my shoes and in between my toes. I still feel like a Margate kid. So I have to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous right now, and, and that's not usually the case with me. And I was thinking about why, and the truth of the matter is because I'm a compulsive eater because I have the addictions because I still want everybody to be satisfied and happy with what I do because I still want to be accepted because I haven't overcome that through all the years. I'm working on it and it's in progress. Um, so I got the message from Kim on, I forgot, Tuesday or Wednesday that said, somebody else can't make it. Do you want to sit in? And I said, oh my God, this is amazing. I'd love to do that. You know, I love this meeting and I love to talk about the big book. You know why? Because I love the big book and it's never, ever, ever lied to me. Everything in it has always turned out to be true. And I thought about the weeks prior talking about the doctor's opinion and restless, irritable and discontented. I relate so much, the obsession, the compulsion, all those things. And then I said, what are we doing this week? Bill's story, oh my God, that's amazing. And I thought about it for a minute and then I said, wait, wait a minute. World War I, war fever over there, Winchester Cathedral, the maelstrom of Wall Street, whoopee parties, bathtub gin. That's not me. Oh, this is the wrong week for me to be speaking. What am I? And I didn't respond, by the way. So I went to sleep about midnight and I woke up at 
3.30 in the morning, 3.45, and I picked up the big book. And I remember the first time I read this and I said, this isn't me, what's this got to do with me? But then I also remembered, and I've read this story, I'd be willing to bet at least 500 times that this has everything to do with me. This has everything to do with us. We have a common illness and it manifests itself in so many different ways but it's an illness that involves an allergy and it's an illness that involves an underlying dis-ease, character defects, problems that we've developed over an entire lifetime in our minds and in our hearts and in our spiritual natures. Um, and then we have also a common solution that can also manifest itself spiritually in any number of different ways, you know? So, so we're gonna talk about a, a little bit about this. A couple of like, just a little introductory remarks that I always like to make. The first is, I, I think I just said this, I love Overeaters Anonymous. And there are really two main reasons why I love Overeaters Anonymous and the 12-step process in general. The first is, uh, and by the way, can somebody give me a five minute when there are five minutes to go? Okay. The first is that um, I wouldn't be alive today, but for this. Yeah, and I believe that, and I know that I have, an abiding conviction to a moral certainty that I would be dead today if it were not for these 12 steps and specifically for the steps that apply to Overeaters Anonymous because this is my primary addiction. I've got uh, some other fellowships that I'm a part of, but I have to tell you the truth. Um, and I'm not gonna talk about those other specifics about those things. I could walk down the aisle in Publix today and uh, the wine aisle, and I wouldn't even see anything. It just doesn't exist in my mind. But if I go down the first aisle to the right, or the last aisle, where there are frozen things, I can't say that I wouldn't have any thought. I can't say that my abstinence is completely effortless. I can say that I don't have to give in to, it, it's not to the level of craving. You know, if I give in to the obsession to that strange insanity, then I ride right into compulsion. But today I still have the thought and I still have to think about it. I really do a little bit. Um, that's one. And number two is, is um, what a magnificent and amazing life that I've been given as a result of being part of these fellowships for going on 24 years now. Um, and more about alcoholism, I'm just gonna grab one line because I think it's perfect for me. Uh, Fred, who's in more about alcoholism history, says that I found a way of living that is infinitely more satisfying and hopefully more useful than the life I lived before. And that's exactly how I feel. You know, I thought I had a good life. I, I um, was a professional, um, you know, but I didn't, I was, I was almost destroyed. I was sick mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually when I, when I got here. Uh, I thought that was a good life, but it was a horrendous life. And I didn't realize it until the electron scanning microscope of the 12 steps and of this fellowship allowed me to really look at what I was feeling and how I was acting and what I was doing and to realize what misery I had and how I was driven by self-will and how today, instead of being restless, irritable, and discontented, I can feel happy, joyous, and free so much of the time. 
you know, where I used to be resentful and angry, where I used to feel pain and fear. Today, I can understand and I'm in touch with serenity and with peace and with love. You know, what a wonderful thing, just wonderful. So that being said, let's talk a little bit about these three pages. Um, so, you know, it starts out, oh my God, war fever ran high, you know? But what's important in here is not that, it's not the first, it, it's, it's World War I. Bill Wilson is on his way to England uh, to ultimately head up in France to fight. You know, this is tough stuff. What's this got to do with me? But what's he say? Uh, love, applause, war. I was part of life at last. I discovered liquor. So remember the first thing I talked about when I came in here, I said I was nervous because I want to be accepted. So here's this great guy, Bill Wilson, who wrote this story, who went on to really write this book to become a really famous individual, to be a leader among men. We're going to get into all this. But at this point, he's accepted by the people in the town. He feels great. Everything's going really well. I felt acceptance. I was part of life at last. Does that mean that he wasn't part of life before that? Does it? Maybe it does. I, that's, this is my interpretation. That the truth of the matter is, even if we're leaders, even if we're accepted, we have low self-esteem. We want to feel part of. We want to feel acceptance. There is that natural instinct. It talks about it in the uh, AA 12 and 12, which is sanctioned for here, um, that you know we have this uh, instinct for acceptance, for being in the society of our fellows, for shelter, for nourishment, uh, for those things. But when we demand more than our fair share of them, then you know, then that's the degree of our sin. I forgot exactly how it says it. Um, and when it's out of whack. So, so Bill Wilson is really looking to be accepted. He's looking for self-esteem. He's looking for those things. And by the way, and even though things are good at this point, what's he do? He discovers liquor. So when times are good, he discovers liquor, you know, um, really quickly. I was, this is my first memory. I'm not going to go into the story, but it's preschool. And one day I did something that the adults found to be really uh, uh, esteemable on my part. And they all praised me. And I felt part of, I felt acceptance. I felt that part of that I want to feel in life. It felt so good. And the next day I did something that the same adults found to be not acceptable whatsoever. And they rained down on me, you know, and that second day, I didn't feel accepted. I didn't feel part of, I didn't feel a sense of esteem. And I carried that forward and I built on that. You know, I built on that. Um, and that became part of my subconscious. And as, as I did more and more things in life, I saw them in that way of me not being worth it, you know? And that developed my character defects, that developed all these things. That developed the dis-ease of my life, which ultimately resulted in my wanting to medicate myself because I didn't feel good about myself. And how did I medicate myself? All different kinds of ways. But why are we here today? Because I medicated myself with food and the food eventually took on the allergy aspect of it. But, you know, even when I was successful, uh, as a young man at the age that Bill Wilson is, I would throw these big barbecues for friends and family. I'd go out for big sumptuous dinners. 
um, I gorge myself, you know, I gorge myself. That was in the good times. That was in the good times. And I did it and I did it. So in the good times, I still had the disease. I still suffered from the character defects. My soul was still separated, you know. And what's amazing is that when I got here, I didn't think I was a compulsive eater and I didn't believe in God. But I had some miracles happen that allowed me to realize that I was a compulsive eater and to realize or to be able to find the God of my understanding, which isn't important, but it's that the spiritual path came to life for me. And the truth is, you know, if I had just been able to maintain bare abstinence and white knuckle it and not be happy in my life, then I, eventually I would have said like, that's enough. That's enough. I'd rather die and gorge myself than to live this kind of life. But I don't live that kind of life. I live a life, a blessed life, a wonderful life, a miracle life, a life that's available to everybody in this room today. It's not always great, you know, but it's always great. <laughs> you know, it's always great. So when things are good, he drinks, we eat. Um, then he goes over there, right? He goes over there to England um, and he says he was very lonely and again, turned to alcohol. So now when times are good, he turns to alcohol. When he's lonely, he turns to alcohol. What, well, why is that? Because again, maybe he didn't really feel great about himself. Maybe he needed something to medicate himself. I remember being in high school and um, uh, having, and, and just, you know, being in the party all the time, you know, things were really good. And then at some point something happened. I was going out with a girl and we had a breakup, you know, and, and it was my first instance of, of uh, subjecting myself really heavily to the addiction. And that included food, but it, you know, that particular night, it was about maybe drinking, but about all these things. So when times were good, I was a food addict. And when times were bad, I was a food addict. And by the way, the lonely part, how about that? I used to, when I was, when things were good, always, always eat out eat lots, eat with friends, eat with people. But toward the end of my eating career, how did I do it? I did it where? I did it at home. I did it alone. You know, I isolated. I didn't even want to be around people because people, I knew it. They knew who I was. They knew I was nothing. They knew I was less than, you know. So I just sat at home and gorged myself and I binge on the rottenest of foods and it had consequences. You know, today, today I suffer from health consequences because I'm, I'm a type two diabetic. Um, my father and his four brothers were type two diabetics and none of them exercised the day. None of them exercised good nutrition. None of them had a spiritual program like we have, all of them died between the age of 60 and 74. My father, when he was 68, I'm 70. I was just 70, you know. Yay! I grabbed a hold of this a little early, but there are consequences. There are consequences. I don't think I ever would have been to them. I have two brothers. They're not diabetics. 
they didn't destroy themselves the way I did in my earlier days, you know? Um, so there are consequences, you know? So then it talks about this tombstone of the Hampshire Grenadier. By the way, uh, a thing, the Hampshire Grenadier's name was Thomas Fetcher. And one reason that they think that Bill Wilson loved this tombstone so much was that his best friend growing up in, and you'll read in later pages, was Ebby Thatcher. Sounds like Thatcher, Thatcher, Thatcher. Um, and Ebby Thatcher, Ebby Thatcher was a guy who Bill drank with at a young age and who was responsible for really Bill Wilson's second step. And we're gonna read about that in a little while. But you know, this tombstone, there was the doggerel on this tombstone, which, you know, it said, here lies the Hampshire grenadier. A good soldier is ne'er forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. And by pot, they were talking about small- Five minutes, Rick. Five minutes. Whoa. <laughs> so, and then, and then he went, and then he went there. And that was, okay, thank you. No. I'm flies uh, and you're having fun. <laughs> yeah, really. So, so Thomas Fetcher died of a violent fever that resulted in his drinking warm, hot beer, hot beer, you know? Here's a guy, you know, he's a Hampshire grenadier. He's off to war, he's a soldier, but what's he die from? The disease. What do we die from if we don't take care of, what do I die from if I don't take care of myself? Especially now I die from this. Right, I'm gonna try to shoot ahead a little bit. Um, so Bill Wilson comes back and he says, my talent for leadership would place me at the head of vast enterprises. I kind of want to make this point. He did have those abilities. He had the drive that was really on. That drive resulted in the publication of this book. And how incredible is this book? How much of an impact does this book have on how many millions of people, including us as compulsive eaters? What's that got to do with alcohol? But this book was named by Time Magazine and, and the Library of Congress to be among the most influential books of the 20th century in terms of the impact it had on society. So thank God for this book. Thank God for his leadership. But the truth of the matter is that his leadership when it came to business was driven by his wanting to be, to prove to, he said, I want to prove to the world that I was important. Again, low self-esteem. He didn't feel great about things. There's a, I don't, I, I'm going to do it later. There's this, there's this um, idea, it's called um, Dharma. Dharma, a lot of people know in, in Buddhism is the path. But a Sanskrit uh, definition of Dharma is, is um, if everybody has special skills or, or special talents to give to other people. And we're able to, when we're able to blend that unique talent or special gift in service to others, we reach the ecstasy and the exaltation of our spirit, the ultimate goal of all goals. I love that, you know, I love that. This is a spiritual program and the ultimate activity is the spiritual activity, the spiritual plane. And when, when we're able to blend it, that's how we get it. But Bill Wilson, before he got to this book, wasn't interested in what he was gonna do for other people. He was interested in seeing that other people were gonna find out that he was really important. And it didn't work and he stayed spiritually ill and he almost drank himself to death. And But for the intervention of Ebby Thatcher and, and a group of circumstances, 
we wouldn't be here today talking to each other. But when he became motivated to want to help people, when he became motivated to give back, that was which was so freely given to him, when he became motivated to do something good for the world, it worked. And he was able to reach that. You know, he was able to reach that. Um, I've only got a minute or two. So it's a progressive illness. And he talks about the fact that um, fortune, you know, fortune threw a lot of money his way. He developed a bunch of fair weather friends. So did I. I, I you know, in terms of success, when, when I was eating and drinking and drugging and doing all those things, I had a group of fair weather friends and they were there when things were good. And when things weren't good, they weren't there. And my, my compulsive eating progressed to the point where I went from high school weight of 175 to 270 pounds. I'm back down to like just breaking under 200 today, yay. You know, and I've been there for actually kind of a long time. Um, but it's a progressive disease and it progressed with Bill. And those fair weather friends weren't there when he needed help. And guess what? They weren't there when I needed help either. But I know today that I have a group of friends that would do anything, go anywhere to help me anytime I need help. And I feel the same way. And I feel the same way about just about everybody here. So I know I'm almost out of time. So I just want to, I want to close with this. When I came, I loved a few and that was my family. I was indifferent to the many and I hated the rest. And today as a result of this work, I feel a difference that the screen has been flipped. And today I can love the many. I'm not indifferent to many. And I really, the word hate is, gone from the lexicon of those words that are part of my existence. And I can look at you, to, at you today and say that I love you all, you know? And if I had heard that at my first meeting, I would have said, somebody take this guy out in the hall and you know, get him because what an idiot. But it's the truth. I love everybody in this room right now. And I wish everybody like a beautiful day and, and these steps and this solution, please grab onto it. It's the most amazing thing that will ever happen in your life. It will define you and it'll bring you treasures beyond that which you could ever imagine. Thank you.